Hey, good morning, SunWest, and thanks for joining us online here at church this morning. No matter where you're tuning in, we're glad that you are here. Maybe you're watching from your kitchen table or your living room. Maybe even you're still in bed uh, laying down and enjoying the comfort of this uh, morning service from your bed. How amazing is that? Or maybe you're that one parent who's tucked away downstairs in a closet just to avoid their children for a few moments of silence. No matter where it is that you're connecting with us uh, this morning, we're just happy that you are here and we welcome you to our online experience this week. There are a couple things that we want to remind you of uh, in this season where we're just trying to create content to keep us connected, uh, to still be the church, still be the hands and feet of Christ as we go through this unique season. Um, and a couple of those are just resources that we've been getting out for you and your families. Uh, one reminder is that uh, Kids Experience Online on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pastor Kendall and her team have been working hard to get content on there, and I hope you've enjoyed it this week. I know my kids did. Um, but you can go on there, www.sunwestchurch.com, and click on our Church at Home Experience, and every Tuesday we'll have fresh content up there for you and your kids to do Church at Home. Um, also on Wednesdays, our youth ministry, Pastor Cole, Colton and the team have been doing an excellent job. I would encourage you to check on our website Wednesdays at 7 p.m. He's posting content there, as well as their social media channels on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, They're keeping our youth connected. I know we did virtual small groups this week uh, with Zoom. Uh, My kids enjoyed it and jumped in. And again, it was just such a great experience in this season to be able to stay connected to people and stay connected to friends. And that's uh, good for our spiritual health, but it's also good for our mental health uh, to be able to just connect online. And so we're trying to create those spaces for you. Um, We did mention a couple weeks ago uh, about starting point. And if you're new to SunWest or you've been coming for a while and you just want to find out a little bit more about who we are as a church, a little bit more about faith uh, in God and your relationship with uh, Jesus, then we would encourage you to sign up online, www.sunwestchurch.com for starting point. And we do a four-week course uh, based on the core four values that we have here at SunWest, which is know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And so we're going to be offering that in an online uh, content form. Uh, Pastor Matt and the other pastors on staff here will be taking a week just like normal and teaching that. And so we encourage you to sign up online so that you can stay connected and uh, jump in on that during this season. Hey, we're going to jump into some worship and a word here this morning in just a second. But before we do... I wanted to encourage you with this, and I don't know if you're much like me, uh, but you um, you rely on worship sometimes to keep you connected. And uh, for me, it's such a beautiful thing to be able to turn on a song, um, sit and listen to those words and allow those words to speak kind of to me, to calm my anxiety, uh, to calm my heart, but also to help me connect with God. And uh, just a few weeks ago, before this pandemic started, uh, Carrie Job uh, and her husband, Cody Carnes, and Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church released a song called The Blessing. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard it, but maybe some of you haven't. And uh, the prayer of this song, I believe, is great. Uh, and, it, and it's timely for this season that we're in as a church. And it's, it's scripture. It's basically singing scripture and singing prayer. And I would encourage you to hop on Spotify or iTunes or YouTube and type The Blessing uh, by Carrie Job and just uh, listen to this song and allow it to uh, allow it to minister, allow it to speak to your heart, allow it to speak hope into your life. And it's based on number six. And it says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. Right? We, we've used this many times in the church uh, as we're dismissing service, as we're saying goodbye. It also says, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. If there's anything we need right now in this time, it's peace. And uh, that's what I'm praying over you and your household. That's what I'm praying over our country, over our city, over our provinces, just peace in this time. Um, And so if you have time this week to take uh, just a few minutes, type that in, The Blessing by Carrie Job and Cody Carnes, and pull it up on whatever listening uh, streaming device that you prefer. And I pray that that song would speak to you, it would encourage you, and it would give you peace in this season. Thanks for joining us online. I hope you enjoy our worship this morning uh, with Pastor Matt and the team. And Pastor Kendall is going to be on right after that to share a word. God bless you. Enjoy. Stay safe. sound coming on the wind changing hearts and minds healing brokenness I feel generation breaking through despair I hear generation full of
What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Good morning, SunWest. It's good to gather together this morning, even if it's over a screen. Hope everyone's doing well, hanging in there, taking it day by day. A verse that I have found encouraging through this time has been Matthew six thirty four. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's a verse that I've really clung to as the future feels more unknown than it's ever felt before, to just take this one step at a time, one day at a time, as things unfold, as they go, and we figure out this new reality together. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our series in Mark. We've covered three chapters so far, the first three in five parts. We're going to be doing most of chapter four today up to verse 34. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Mark four. If you have your Mark journals, to turn there. We're on page 22 in the Mark journals. And we're going to just start right from the top with verse one. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So here, Jesus isn't teaching in a synagogue with his Jewish counterparts like we've seen for the most part when he's teaching so far, but he's actually teaching to a large crowd. These people are not just Jews. They're from all over the region. There's Gentiles there. There's people who are Edomites, who are enemies of the Jews who are there. There's people from all over. It's this very mixed group, and they're coming together. They're listening to Jesus teach. He's using a boat, which was probably one of the boats that belonged to one of his disciples, and the acoustics on the water would have been perfect for this large large crowd to be able to hear him. So there's four sections that we're going to take this chapter in. We're going to look at the parable of the sower, the purpose of parables, the parable of the sower explained. And then the last section is three shorter parables, the lamp under a basket, the parable of the seed growing, and the parable of the mustard seed. So we have this chapter that's all about parables. And though Jesus would have likely already been teaching in parables, this is, this is the first kind of section of some of the teachings that he's had that we have for us. So looking at four parables might sound like a lot, but they're all really closely tied together. They're all about seeds. They're all about growth. And all of them tie into two of the key themes that we've seen so far and will continue to see in the book of Mark. And those themes are discernment. Do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear what God is doing? And then another theme of the kingdom of God, the reign of God coming to earth through Jesus. So before we dive into our parables, let's just ask the question, what is a parable? A really simple definition would be a story that teaches a lesson. Parables aren't just straightforward. What is being taught is what they mean. That takes them a little bit of interpretation. Jesus wasn't the only one who taught in parables. Parables, rabbis would have used them, especially to 
have teachings on the royal courts or if they're wanting to explain a point to some common folk. Lots of Jewish leaders would have used them to illustrate and explain their points. But what Jesus is doing is actually much more than just giving a lesson, and we're going to see that together as we unfold his teachings. So let's start with our first parable, the parable of the sower, verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teachings he said to them, Listen, if you're the type of person that circles things, writes in your Bible, or if you have your marked journals, I would encourage you to circle that word listen. That's something that we're going to see coming up time and time again, and it's going to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. Verse 3, listen. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, since it had no root, and it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, again, you might want to circle this theme of listening and hearing, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there are multiple levels of meaning to this parable. And to start off, we're going to take the the perspective of Jesus being the sower and then this current crowd that he's teaching to be the different types of soil that he's addressing. So he's currently, as he is teaching, sowing seeds. In previous weeks, Pastor Matt has explained this common theme that we see in Mark of people being in and people being out. And we're going to use that as a bit of a template to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. So we've seen throughout Jesus's ministry that there are people who are around Jesus. They're in, they're joining in his ministry. There's people who are a part of the crowds. Maybe they're following Jesus around and they're trying to figure out if they're with them. If they're not, they're trying to figure out who he is. And then there's also people who are on the outside. These people may be directly opposed to Jesus. They may be offended by Jesus or maybe they just think he's crazy. So Jesus is the sower. There's this crowd of people. He's sowing seeds and people are responding in all sorts of different ways. Looking now at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed indeed see, but not perceive, they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Jesus isn't saying here, like, there's people who are on the outside, that there's people that he's excluding. He's saying among the crowd that's with him, of the people that he's teaching, there are people who are invested in him and are invested in what he's doing in his ministry, and then there's people who aren't. So we're going to keep reading into the parable of the sower explained, and we're going to see what Jesus is talking about now in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus is basically saying, are you on the outside? Seeing but not perceiving, hearing but not understanding, showing up in the crowds but not actually turning to him. That word, turn, going back to verse 12, to turn, to turn, return to God. 
I read that verse and I almost think that Jesus is saying this with a bit of frustration. Like, aren't you in? Aren't you with me? I thought you were one of the ones that were by my side, that you were around me. Okay, I'll explain this parable to you because you need to discern if you're with me. So Jesus explains it to them. He goes on in verse 14. The sower sows the word. Again, Jesus is the sower and the crowd is the different soils. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So here, these people are too hard for the seed to even plant. A hardened heart is an apathetic heart, one that refuses to melt in the face of the love and the grace of Jesus. So there are people that we see in Jesus' ministry that are on the outside. These are people who refuse to be brought in. Jesus could call out to them and call and call and teach and teach and perform miracle after miracle, and they would still choose to remain on the outside. There's no way for people to see and hear if their hearts are hard. And I think it's really important that we understand that this isn't something that happens to them. We might read verse 15 and we might think, well, it's, it's Satan's fault that they don't accept Jesus. They had no chance. But actually, it's because of their own soil. Their soil is unreceptive, which then, yes, is going to leave them vulnerable But that's because a turn away from Jesus is also a turn to something. It's a turn to something else. A turn away from the kingdom isn't just a turn to nothing. It's a turn towards the kingdom of the earth. Mark 4 does not teach that Jesus makes anyone into an outsider. Outsiders are where they have chosen to be. So let's think about this. We're just going to rewind a bit. When Jesus makes reference before he starts explaining this parable, he references a section in Isaiah in verse 12 when it talks about uh, seeing but not perceiving, hearing, not understanding, lest they turn be forgiven. That's actually a reworded quote from Isaiah 6, verse 9 to 10. So Isaiah 6, 9 to 10 says, he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So in this reference to Isaiah, human choice, when Mark is doing it, is actually not excluded. And that actually becomes obvious when we note that Mark actually significantly did not include this language of making their hearts hard or making the people calloused. He didn't include that. Jesus' enemies have made themselves outsiders. Forgiveness is conditioned upon returning to God. He keeps drawing, he keeps calling, he keeps inviting, but they remain hardened unless they choose to turn. It's a choice that they're given. They're welcome to be a part of the crowds. They're welcome to continue to discern. They're welcome to be a different kind of soil among the crowds. And Jesus addresses these different kinds of soil. He addresses these different kinds of people in the rest of the parable, which we're going to now look at. So understanding the next type of soil, which was talked about in verse 5 and 6, Jesus goes on to explain in verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. 
Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So here we see people throughout Jesus' ministry that are a part of the crowd. There are people who are trying to figure out whether they're with him or not. These are people who maybe have followed Jesus around. They kind of like what they saw, so they're going to keep following him around. But then, when it comes time for Jesus to go to the cross, when suffering becomes a part of following him, these people fall away. This is an important theme that we see of discernment in all these different soils, because for this one, by the time Jesus gets to the cross, many of the crowds who seem like they would maybe make the choice to be in and be a part of his ministry, actually became those who were on the outside. That's not it, though. There are more people in the crowd looking now on to verse 18. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I imagine these people are kind of like the extroverts in the crowd. They're the people who are there for a good time, a cool teaching. They're there to see some sweet miracles, because why wouldn't you want to see that? Why wouldn't you want to be able to see that you were there for that sweet thing that happened? And since they're there, they're listening to Jesus' teachings, but they're not actually invested. They're in the crowd, but they aren't really trying to figure out if they're with him. They aren't doing much of a discernment process. They seem like they're in the crowd, but they too actually end up being people who are on the outside. They might like what they see, but they're too invested in other things in their life. Their families, their trade, their status, their law, their mysticism, whatever it was for each of them, They all end up going back to it. A positive, willing response to the word doesn't mean just taking it, going along, adding it into whatever you had already there. Repentance, we've talked about, is a turning, a turning towards God, a turning to Jesus. And so an acceptance of the word without an actual turning isn't acceptance at all. Jesus' disciples all have this choice, this choice to make, turning towards Jesus, which meant leaving things behind, giving up things in their life for Jesus' ministry. For the people in the crowds that were like this, all the other stuff in their lives stops them from growing because they may say they're following Jesus, they may show up to some Jesus stuff, but they're still dragging a whole lot of other stuff behind them that they refuse to let go. And eventually they give way to that and they're going to stop following. They aren't actually committed. So, so far this is a pretty hopeless crop. But finally, we get to the one in verse 8 with the good soil explained in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear, you might want to circle that word, hear the word, and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. These are the people who are around Jesus, who are a part of his ministry, who are joining in, who are turning to him. They maybe were in the crowd and they've heard and they've discerned and they've decided. Only those with hearts that aren't just receptive to what Jesus is sowing, but actually fully dig into it, will result in a harvest. Going back to verse 12, they see, they hear, and they turn. So now we're understanding that Jesus is saying some of the people in the crowds are people who you might guess were in and might guess were around that were actually people on the outside. 
But also, some of the people in the crowd are going to be people who will turn and will live their lives around Jesus. And then others who you think would be in and looked like they were invested turn out to be outsiders. For every person, it wasn't about how physically close they could get to Jesus, but it was a discernment process. We know that Judas, he would have appeared to be in and around and invested in Jesus' ministry. He was actually an outsider. I think Judas would actually fall uh, under the seed sown in the thorns. Because it was the bribery that was given to him to turn Jesus in to the Roman officials that actually resulted in him turning away from Jesus and therefore being outside. Even Peter, who's known in Matthew 16, he's the one, the rock on which I will build my church. At times, Peter falls under the one sown on the rocky ground. Because Jesus denies Peter three times when following him looked like tribulation and persecution. So, Peter's there, and he's around Jesus, and you'd say he's invested, but he's still kind of part of the crowd in some ways because he was still also trying to figure out how invested he really was. He was still trying to figure out, would he allow Jesus to be fully planted in his life? Would he see, hear, and turn? Or would he receive Jesus for a little while only to fall away? We know the end result is yes, Peter would end up being a significant part of the growing of Jesus' ministry, but I'm not sure Peter knew that just yet. Those who would have assumed from the beginning that they were on the inside, the Pharisees, religious leaders, or the Essenes, or the Zealots, these different groups of people who thought they were in the right, who would have assumed when the Messiah came that they would be on the inside, weren't. Not everyone who followed Jesus was either. Everyone had a choice to make. Everyone needed to decide if they were going to turn to Jesus. No social status, no ethnicity, no power, no blood relation, no law was enough to make someone an insider around Jesus. Every single person who was faced with the life and teachings of Jesus had a choice to make. Jesus was calling people to listen, to see, to hear, to turn, to understand. He's calling them to be good soil. No matter who they are, no matter where they've come from in the crowd, no matter where they were standing, don't just hear his words. Plant them in your hearts, in your lives. Turn to him. Be with him. Follow him. So right now I want to take a minute and I want to pause and ask a going deeper question. And this is about the condition of your heart. What is the condition of the soil of your heart? You're here, you're listening to a Sunday sermon, you're in the crowd. But where's your heart at? How's your soil? Because you may have already accepted Jesus, but that doesn't mean that you have good soil right now. So maybe you're along the path. Maybe you're exposing yourself to the birds. Maybe you thought you knew who Jesus was, but right now you're offended by him or opposed to him or you think he's crazy or at least his followers are and that's enough that you have pushed yourself to the outside. Maybe you're bitter that your idea of what it meant to follow Jesus isn't turning out to be what it is. Or maybe you thought that being a follower of Jesus would mean all the other people in the church would be perfect at loving you and loving each other and that's not happening and so you're being pushed to the outside. Maybe you're a, a Pharisee who's mad about the tax collectors that are allowed to be in the church or maybe you're a tax collector who's mad about the Pharisees that are allowed to be in the church. Maybe you've hardened yourself. 
you're along the path and you've turned away from Jesus, have you chosen to be on the outside? Or maybe you feel like you didn't choose to be there, but you don't really belong. You don't really fit in. You don't feel welcome to be around Jesus. Or maybe you're in the thorns. Maybe it's not even the good or exciting things in life that are pulling you away because we seem to be lacking those a little bit in isolation. But there's a general lack of prioritizing, an apathetic heart where the days are going by and maybe you're crazy busy right now or not at all and you're not You're not prioritizing spending time with Jesus. Maybe you're showing up to listen to a Sunday sermon, but you're not really trying to grow your faith. It's kind of gone on this apathetic back burner. Are you in the thorns of the crowd somewhere, letting other stuff come first to the point that you would say you're planted and you're turned to Jesus, but you're not really growing? Or maybe you're in the rocky soil. Maybe you've been laid off. Or maybe you're not sure how you're going to get through the next couple days, never mind weeks, of isolation. Maybe fear has been really creeping in your mind. Maybe you're in a really rocky time like Peter was, where he thought he was invested with Jesus, but things are getting really hard, and now you're definitely in the crowd, but you're not sure, actually, if you're invested with Jesus right now. Maybe things are getting hard, but you are still invested. You're digging in. You're listening. You're hearing. You're seeing. You're turning to Jesus. Maybe this is a season where you've been pulled away from the normalcy of life, and you've actually been able to evaluate what you were dependent on. And you are good soil. You're ready for the deeper planting of Jesus in your life. Jesus shows us time and time again that no one is stuck on the outside. No one. There's always a choice to turn in, to lean in, to at least stand in the crowd and listen and see what Jesus is doing. That discernment is always available to you. Even Peter fell among the rocky ground sometimes, but he never stopped discerning. He never stopped leaning in. And so his seed remained planted. And so he was actually able to become a part of the harvest and able to multiply that harvest. What is the condition of the soil of your heart. I would encourage you, if you'd like, to just pause the video and talk about that question with the few people that you're gathered with, or if you have a marked journal, to journal on that, or whatever paper you have, to take some time and ask that question. These Going Deeper questions will also be available on our social media and Church at Home website for you to reflect on if you want to do it afterwards. So seeds are being sowed, your soil, you're choosing how you're going to respond. And what's interesting as we think about the condition of our own hearts and we read this parable thinking about how Jesus is a sower is that he doesn't sound like a very good sower for most of it. He's scattering seeds all over. He's making a mess. It's wasting his time. It seems like this pretty hopeless crop. And yet, the harvest is somehow great. This realistic parable suddenly becomes unrealistic, at least under what would have been first century Palestinian conditions, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, even though most of these seeds we just read about would yield nothing? What does this surprising ending leave its listeners to conclude? I think there's a few options for us. This story is ridiculous. That kind of harvest is impossible from that kind of crop. Jesus doesn't know a whole lot about farming. Or it leads the listeners to ask, what is Jesus getting at? 
what kind of harvest can be that abundant? It's a call to discernment. That's why I had you circling those words about listening and hearing. It's a call to get around Jesus, even if you're not sure if you fully understand or grasp what he's teaching just yet, and stick with him so you can decide. That's one major theme in these parables, discernment. And the other one, remember, is the kingdom of God, which is exactly what Jesus is calling people to discern. He's calling people to say, to figure out, are you going to be a part of this kingdom that's like a seemingly hopeless crop? Because even though it seems small, what will come of it will be great. Jesus is convinced of the final victory. I think it's so interesting that Jesus even chose to use a parable about a seed. Why not like a mountain or a great forest or a fortress that's being built? Why a seed, like a slow, simple seed? Have you ever watched a seed grow, just like sat there and watched it grow day by day, millimeter by millimeter? It's not really all that exciting. It's pretty slow. Takes a lot of patience, takes time, takes trust that it's going to grow. If we think about how small Jesus' followers were by the time he went to the cross, the cross seems pretty hopeless. Definitely not 30 fold or 100 fold. Most of the seeds he planted, by the time he made it to the cross, turned out to mostly be outsiders, people who were going to reject him, people who were going to choose other things instead. And so then, where is this harvest coming from? It makes no sense. Jesus is the sower, but he's not the only one. And this is where we see that this parable has multiple meanings because Mark is also the sower. By recording the words of Jesus and spreading the message, he is planting seeds. And beyond that, we too, that is people who follow Jesus with their life, who proclaim the words of his kingdom, are also sowers. All the disciples of Jesus are sowers. And this picture of the kingdom, this slow, starting below the surface, call to endurance for the sowers. It's a call to know that even though we may sow seeds and not all of them are going to grow, It's not all in vain. Be patient. Just wait. That small group that was left mourning Jesus after he died, those who didn't turn away, Jesus would turn into a worldwide movement that is still going 2,000 years later. The harvest indeed has been great, and with the sowing work of the Holy Spirit through God's people today will continue to be even greater. But it's going to take endurance to stick with it when this great kingdom can sometimes feel like a small, hopeless crop with little to no yield. And that's what the next three parables illustrate. For the parable of the lamp under a basket, you never put a lamp under a basket. What's the point of a lamp? Why would you do that? The kingdom isn't meant to be a secret, though for the time it was hidden. The goal of Jesus' ministry is revelation, is that it would be proclaimed, to be heard, to be seen, to be discerned. But for now, Jesus is carefully controlling the pace at which his identity and the presence of the kingdom are being disclosed. The parable of the lamp under the basket, I think, is Jesus explaining his kingdom methodology that for now it's slow, but it will be revealed. 
And then the next parable, going on starting in verse 26, we're told of this sower who sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and it grows, and he knows not how until one day the harvest is ripe and ready. A sower must be patient. A sower gets up day after day, faithful to the task, waiting. Some days feel like setbacks. Some days it feels like there's little to no harvest or any harvest at all. But trusting that it will come, trusting that it will be even greater than we could imagine. And then there's the mustard seed. Like, why, Jesus, would you choose this tiny, tiny mustard seed? But when it grows over time with patience, what was once small becomes great. Jesus isn't just using seeds to explain the kingdom as something tangible that people will be able to understand. This is the kingdom Jesus is calling people to. This is his entire ministry so far. Even though it seems like it wouldn't turn into much, this simple boy from a simple town with this simple group of disciples, what would come of this will be great. Of this he was sure. Until now, Jesus has been telling people, you know, keep quiet about what he's doing. One of many examples, Mark 3.12, he says when he's ordering these unclean spirits out, he calls out to them. He strictly ordered them not to make him known. He heals people and he does this time and time again. He says, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. People have been waiting hundreds upon hundreds of years for this promised Messiah. And you think that Jesus would stand up on a pedestal and announce that the great wait was over. The time has come. And just like that, all who'd been waiting would turn to him. Only Jesus doesn't do that. Why parables? Why seeds? Why such a slow process? Well, let's ask the question. What if Jesus spoke plainly from the beginning? What if he spoke plainly from the beginning? What if he didn't come as a baby, but instead, clearly, as himself, God in human flesh, the Messiah, the King, the Prophet, the Great High Priest, the long-awaited one? What would that have looked like? Wouldn't have been much simpler, more logical, maybe a better use of time? You'd think... But if Jesus did that, it would have been actually much less clear to people who he was if he was proclaiming it right from the start because he would be leaving everyone to their preconceived notions of what the Messiah is, of what it means. This has been an issue since the beginning of his ministry, who the Messiah is, who's got the good soil and is in, and who's got the rocky, thorny soil and who's out. We know that the Pharisees and many others wouldn't accept him. N.T. Wright explains it this way. Any kingdom movement was dangerous enough. But if word got out that Jesus' kingdom vision was radically unlike what most people wanted and expected, the ordinary people would be furious too. It would be doubly dangerous. People had all sorts of ideas about what the coming kingdom and the Messiah the reign of God, about what that would look like. And if Jesus showed up and was like, hey, so the kingdom of God is uh, the way to the cross, are you in? People would have been even more confused and unreceptive than they already are with him gradually revealing it. That the kingdom comes slowly, subtly, not as this great political movement or as a war or a world-ending apocalypse. It was hard for people, but above all, I think one of the hardest things is that no matter what people were expecting, 
was that it was unexpected. The one thing that people would have been able to agree on, no matter what they thought it was going to look like when the Messiah came, is that people would know. People would know when the reign of God was coming on earth. But instead, we see the kingdom Messiah taking discernment to figure out. Jesus is the sower. He is the mustard seed. He is the kingdom. And he came simply and slowly because he knew that is how to get a large harvest. You don't just go to a patch of dirt and throw some seeds and hope things will grow. He's preparing the soil. He's proclaiming the kingdom not by shouting it from the rooftops, rooftops, but by making it present for those with hearing ears and seeing eyes. Like Jesus, Mark is seriously challenging us to figure out what kind of soil are you? That this section of Mark 4 ends with verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, and as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So as we even read these two final verses here, we're in the position of the crowds. We are left to try and figure out if we're with Jesus. We're not told all the things that Jesus has taught. We're not given all the explanations of all the parables like some were. We're left to draw closer. We can lean in and learn more, or we could back away to the outside. Jesus, the apparent not-so-good sower, he knew where to plant his seeds and who wasn't always ready for what he was revealing. Mark is challenging us to consider our soil, but he's also challenging us to consider our crops. Our next going deeper question that I want you to consider is what kind of seeds are you sowing? I think as a sower, in order to reflect on the growth of the seeds we've sown, it's important to ask what kind of kingdom we're trying to plant them in. What kind of kingdom are you calling people to? Are you in a rush? Have you been discouraged by the apparent lack of harvest? Why might that be? Have you maybe mistaken God's kingdom reign on earth to be a building? an institution of the church, a religion, or a national entity, or a certain culture, or ideology, or popular movement? Have you focused in on the future hope of heaven without seeing the current reign of God on earth here and now? Do you see the kingdom growth as happening mostly only when there's spiritual warfare, or when there's church growth, or if there's mystical experiences? What's your tendency with the seeds that you scatter? Because we all have one. For me, I think I get stuck in trying to sow seeds in a kingdom that looks like the institution of the church. This makes me view people on the outside of the body of Christ as outside of the kingdom. It's, it's a really slippery slope that I can get stuck in. It actually makes me a really, really bad sower. Because sowing seeds that have already been planted is a whole lot easier and requires a whole lot less patience than doing the slow work of preparing soils when I don't even know if these seeds are going to grow anything. It actually makes the harvest smaller because it's not multiplying or planting anything. It's just maintaining. This is why it's so important that we see and hear what the kingdom Jesus was sowing looked like. These parables aren't the only seeds he planted. Remember, his whole life, was a parable. His whole life was planting seeds. So Jesus' kingdom 
It looked like people being restored, people being restored physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally and relationally. It looks like social and economic status being blurred, where outcasts and apparent outsiders are being welcomed in. It looked like men, women, children. I think even more relevant in our day, in our culture, a really vulnerable group of people, seniors, being welcomed at the feet of Jesus. And it looks like where salvation is found through the path to the cross, where there's self-denial and sacrifice. In a word, Jesus' kingdom looks like shalom. Shalom breaking through. Shalom breakers becoming shalom makers. People who were once lost or broken or sick or just fiercely independent, all made whole in every single way possible welcoming others into that same experience of restoration with God, with self, with others, with creation, and the harvest multiplies. It's not just words being taught or teachings explained, people being told how they should or shouldn't live. The kingdom being established is visible. Yet somehow it can still feel hidden or secret or slow or unexpected. Is shalom the kind of kingdom that you are sowing? What kind of seeds are you sowing? What kind of kingdom are you calling people to? So feel free to take some time now if you want to pause and discuss with the people you're with or journal, or feel free to come back to this question after and really think about that question. Once you've taken some time to evaluate yourself and the type of kingdom seeds you're sowing, the next question that I would invite you to ask with others or in your journal when we're done here to sit with is, what does sowing kingdom seeds look like for you right now? How can we bring people who are on the outside or maybe who are in the crowds around Jesus? How can we show the crowds who Jesus is so that they might want to lean in a bit more, draw a bit closer, get a taste of that harvest, that experience of shalom, of complete restoration by being around Jesus, even if we can't be around each other right now? My social media is full of a million different ways that I'm supposed to be helping people right now. And it's so overwhelming to the point that I feel like I can't do anything. Like we're in a global epidemic. What am I, pandemic, what am I supposed to do? It feels very, it feels, you're isolated and it just, you feel helpless. It's not going to make a difference. Anything I do, it's not going to make a difference. Could you choose one thing? Maybe you're barely holding it together right now. You feel like you're in the rocky or the thorny soil or on the path. You're feeling like you're in a drought. You're running dry. The connections you've made are running dry. There's no end in sight. Now what? Could you choose one thing this week that you could do? One thing that my husband and I, Colin, did this week is we wrote encouragement notes and left our phone number just offering help if it was needed to three of our neighbors. We live in a townhome complex that has like 90 units. And part of me was like, we need to reach them all. We need to do this because that's how you be a faithful follower of Jesus. And if I don't, I'm being disobedient. And it was too it was too much. So we picked three. We picked three people that we left notes on the door. And already those seeds that we just put out there just to see have started to take root because my neighbor, I now have her phone number and she's texted me and we've checked in on each other and she's offered to help us help other people. The harvest is already multiplying just through a simple note that I put 
on our neighbor's door. That's how I sowed one seed this week. One seed. And now I'm seeking, trying to figure out what can my next seed be. One at a time. Slow and steady. Jesus' kingdom is a growing process. And sometimes you might see growth. And sometimes it might feel like a drought. But what if Jesus gave up when he was being accused of blasphemy? One of them, like the unforgivable sin. Because of how his harvest was looking. Be aware of the kingdom you were trying to plant, that what you're drawing people to listen and see and hear and turn to is actually Jesus, not some other idea of the kingdom that you think it should be like. And keep sowing. Be patient with your seeds. If you're discouraged right now, remember that Jesus was confident even in what looked like a drought, that the harvest would be great. Jesus was invested in Peter, even though he knew Peter was going to deny him. And when Peter turned back to Jesus, Jesus forgave him and welcomed him in. I don't know when this new reality of the way that we're living our lives is going to be over. The light at the end of this tunnel feels very dim. Some days it feels like it's not there at all. But I also feel like the Lord has been whispering to me and many other fellow sowers that this is not a time to back down. Because I think of that dim mustard seed sized light at the end of the tunnel and I wonder what kind of harvest we might see from the slow faithful work of disciples during this pandemic be patient endure it's not you who makes the harvest grow but you are being called to plant seeds and be ready when they're ready don't give up keep planting stand by your seeds And through this slow time, I believe in the words of N.T. Wright when he's reflecting on Mark 4, that in this slow time we will find that the things we whisper to one another in small groups will one day be shouted from the housetops. God's microphone is in place and we may not realize who will be listening if we start to sing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that no matter what's happening, no matter how we're feeling, how our soil is feeling, that we can trust and know that the harvest will be great. So we pray that you would give us the passion and the energy to endure when it feels like there's nothing we have to give. That you would just give us an idea of one seed after one seed after one seed and we wouldn't give up hope in a time that feels pretty hopeless. Thank you, Jesus, that we can turn to you, that we can trust that this time we're putting in with our families, the small gestures that we're making to our neighbors, that they will not be in vain, that your harvest will be great, that you are calling us all to experience full restoration, full shalom with you. We pray that you would give us a little taste of that, even today, from our homes, from our screens. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, SunWest, thanks for joining us this morning for Church Online. As we've said many times, even though we're isolated, doesn't mean that we have to do life alone. So we encourage you just to participate in the various opportunities online in the coming days, in the coming weeks. Uh, We love you. We miss you. Uh, Stay safe out there. We look forward to being together again soon.